Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. Hey, Paul. What's going on, bud? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. Just got back from our last football game. So we nice. ended the season with a 500 record with a win today. So that was fun. And Great. You know, it, it was like real football weather. It was like in the 40s, Ooh. a little windy. Um, you know, the boys had little hand warmers on the sidelines. And luckily, it's nine-man football, and we only had 10 players. So we actually borrowed two players from the other team that played just before us. We're like, hey, yeah. you know, it's the same city league. So yeah. we, hey, you guys want to want to play another game? So that was that was helpful. But yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. Finish up the, the football season, and now on to hockey. Oh yeah, the rich man's sport. It's the every man's sport in Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> it's hey, <laughs> hey, do you want to? Here's one way to be middle class: start out rich, and let your kids play hockey. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you can be middle class. So that's about what it's like. It's it's crazy. I'm all. You know, last year I probably should have got hockey insurance on him because he broke his arm. And they started this thing with sports insurance. I don't know when that started, but you can buy insurance for your kid. If they get injured, you get reimbursed, you know, pro rata, that portion of the the fee for that whole oh, wow. season. Yeah. You know, when you're talking like, you know, two, three, four thousand dollars of just club fees to play. Yeah. Right. It it might be worth it. Huh. Yeah. But I typically don't because I self-insure for that kind of stuff. As That's Nelson right. says. That's right? right. Yeah. I can handle that if I need to. Yeah. Well, all right, man. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk IBC and for real estate investors. All right. I mean, these things go together like peanut butter and jelly, like macaroni and cheese. There you go. I mean, we could keep going. Peanut butter and fluff. Yeah. Like cocaine and waffles. What? <laughs> That's a Ricky Bobby. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, IBC for the real estate investor. I tell you, there's a, I was in, why don't we both just spend a couple minutes rehashing our real estate journeys? Because for those who haven't been with us from the beginning or listened to the first couple episodes, they may not know our background in real estate. So Paul and I have both been in real estate. I, I quit my corporate job after two and a half years in uh, 2017 and did real estate investing full time call it real estate investing. Really, it was just flipping houses and, and flipping contracts, so wholesaling. Uh, but I ended up flipping my first house using a policy loan to fund the rehab. And that was great because your first flip, you think it's going to be two months, piece of cake, just got to finish off the basement, carpet, paint, call it good. No, it, it was nine months start to finish, firing contractors and, and kicking them in the butt, trying to get them to work. Um, but the cool thing I realized about that was the first time I ever took an actual, like a big loan from my policy. Um, and what I discovered is, man, this is so stress-free because not only was I still earning on that money I took out to, uh, against my cash value as a loan, I was still earning on that principal inside my policy, but I didn't have to pay it back. Nobody was calling me during dinner. Nobody was sending me letters, um, getting you know, collectors calling my house and uh, leaving messages on my cell phone. Like, no, they didn't care. 
So I could wait until I sold that property and and pay it back, which which is exactly what I did. So that was that was kind of an eye-opening moment in 2016 when I realized, wow, I've got something here that's pretty powerful that I didn't even realize. And I was part of a mastermind group. And I will say during that mastermind, I was part of, we would go to big events all over the world, really. I think we did one in Costa Rica and we invited the uh, the coach, invited a infinite banking guy, Tom Lonnie came down yep. and he was kind of like the face of IBC for that mastermind group, which is now humongous. And I think they have an event right now going on in Florida, but yeah, huge event. And um, I actually spoke at that event in 2017, I think, but he was, IBC was spreading like wildfire within that group because like I said, these two things, IBC and real estate investing go so well. They complement each other so well. You can do both of them very well independently, but you bring them together. You know, some things that you mix together that are good apart don't do so well, like women in basketball. Like separately, they're both phenomenal. You bring them together, not, eh, you know, I mean, come on, let's be real. <laughs> it's just not that great. These two things, IBC and real estate investing, man, you bring these together and it's, it's great. So that's my backstory. What's yours? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, control over that banking function, Dave, is so powerful. No one, like you said, no bankers were calling you, um, and I think that was kind of your your trigger in your life for realizing, I, you know, I've had this asset for this many years and now I, oh my gosh, this it really is awesome, right? You know, mine is a little different. I never, you know, did any wholesaling or, or flipping. I was more of a uh, buy and hold, single family. So I've got, a, you know, some mixed residential commercial uh, down in Texas. And that's that was kind of my jam. And then I, then I got into real estate syndicating and just provide, basically being a, a capital provider to various syndications across the country, you know, five of them, I think, now at this point. And um, similarly, I guess you could say, I did some private lending to 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 you early on in in the in the flipping and, and wholesaling business. And what made that all possible was access to liquid capital. Yep. Right. I have since liquidated, I suppose, most of my single family rentals. We uh, sold three last year and did well. You know, it was the peak of the market, so that that was good. Good timing. And you know, I've got one. I've got one left that I'll that I'll keep um, probably the next few years because it does very well for us as well. But um, but yeah, that's kind of my story. More of a more of a passive guy. Don't like to uh, don't like to get my hands dirty. Don't want to deal with contractors. Don't want to unclog toilets. So that's that's kind of how I like how I like uh, provide you know just providing capital. Yeah, no, and I'm with you too. And I would never have known that had I not done that in the first place, you know, been an active investor. Now I've got no desire as, you know, Gary Gunderson lays out in some of his books, which I, I highly recommend his books, uh, killing sacred cows and disrupting sacred cows. He talks about your investor DNA. And I realized, and owning single family homes, it's not my investor DNA flipping homes, not my investor DNA. I just don't enjoy it. So that's yeah, right. I'm with you. I I'm very passive right now with my money. Uh, and and I couldn't be happier because, you know, the stress level is is almost non-existent. Yeah. No stress. I will say that seems to be where a lot of real estate investors begin. And I don't know if it's because all of these masterminds and coaching groups and, you know, education that people buy, the fix and flip is the most, you know, there's shows about it on television, on HGTV. Right. It's sexy. It's, right. you know, everyone's just crushing it and look at the after repair value of this 
piece of crap that I bought in Los Angeles. And but it seems like a lot of the people we personally know progressed from from that business, from that space, which is very active. It's very constant, right? Yeah. You, yeah it's highly taxed, as uh, as our friend Stephen would like to say all the time. And they naturally progress to, oh, we'll get this commercial real estate thing that has economies of scale and mm -hmm. a little bit more involved, of course, but or a lot more involved, I suppose, but um, bigger rewards, I think, later on, and especially on the on the tax the tax side of things. And I, I think there's a couple reasons for that being where most people start is because one, that's the quickest place I could think of to start generating revenue. Sure. To start making it like earning an income was flipping and wholesaling. Like it's a lot of work, both of those. Don't let any idiot tell you that wholesaling is four hours a week. Like, no, it, it's a lot of work, especially if you wanna make money in it and, and not spend a hundred hours doing it every week. Um, but it's a phenomenal place also to cut your teeth on just to being an investor, you know, evaluating deals, dealing with people, knowing what issues might come up in, in everything and knowing how to work with contractors and contracts like reading and writing contracts, like highly important and, and dealing with all the snakes that are out there oh, in the yeah. real estate world. I mean, it's, that's another reason I didn't really care for it. Cause you deal with some pretty unsavory characters. Um, so um, everybody has their stories. I mean, I, I hired a bank robber for goodness sake. So, right. Um, yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. And she was good at her job though. She was really good. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On both, you know, both the, you know, criminal activity and the, legitimate well, she did get caught though. So she could, right. she wasn't that good of a bank robber. Uh, she did rob five banks though. So if you guys want more on that story, I'd uh, go flip through one of the previous episodes. Um, but so let's talk about some of the reasons, like our favorite reasons why this is so good for real estate investors. So um, what, do, what do you have there for one of the reasons for you, Paul? Well, we all we all hear about this, whether you're listening to someone else on YouTube, you know, leverage um, a life insurance cash value or you know policy loan, which is kind of like. I guess you could equate it. The closest banking product is probably like a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, right? Interest only home equity. Right. Line with, of with the mechanics of how it works. The mechanics. Yeah. But a life insurance policy loan, and I've probably said this before, it's it's the best borrowing position you are going to find anywhere in the world. Other than like you have a rich father in law and he just gives you money or something, right? And with, with no interest or something. But right. it is the best borrowing position that one could find themselves in. Yeah, the most favorable terms you can find. No question. Yeah. Not, we, it's not debatable either. It's not. Right. I'm not and, making and, this up. It's it's true. Yeah. If there was a better place to store my money, I'd put it there. But there's That's simply right. not. There's than no. properly structured dividend paying whole life insurance policies. So what most real estate investors understand is leverage. Most of them, in fact, any of them who've built anything of significance have used leverage with the banks. Right? Or they always go to banks for that leverage. They use private investors and then they supplement with bank, bank loans. Yep. Bank or right? hard money. Or hard money, which is very expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where a lot of people start. If you're still there after a couple of years, you're doing something wrong because um, yes. that's very expensive money. Um, but um, yeah, leverage. So in, in this situation, all that cash that you have, real estate investors are usually cash poor or cash rich. They're sitting on a bundle of cash, waiting for that next deal. As soon as they they strike at that next deal, their cash is gone until they sell that. They fix it up, sell it, or whatever it may be, whatever their strategy is. Um, 
This is just a better place to save your money. You store it inside your policy and then you get to leverage it. You don't ever spend your own capital. It's going to stay in there earning uninterrupted compound growth returns for you for the rest of your life. While at the same time, you get like an equivalent line of credit, just like a HELOC with a life insurance company where you can take money out, put it back in at will, take it out, put it back in whenever you want. And it's principal only, like you said, like you are paying an interest fee, uh, an interest rate, but every loan you make back, it goes straight towards the principal to knock that down. So that's yeah, right. That's, that's one of the best features of this. So, um, hey, I'll add this Dave to just the, the speed at which that you can get to that money, right? Where it's, there's no, you know, you get this question sometimes from new clients, right? Where it's like, well, what is the application fee? Or what is the fee for a policy loan? Or how right. long does the process take? Or, and I'll go in on my, I'll share the screen and I'll go in and show them my personal policy. Watch this. Yeah. 30, you know, in, in 48 seconds, I can request a lump sum of money to come, come hit my checking account, either direct deposit or via, you know, a check that they send through the, right through the US Postal Service. Yeah, so definitely do the direct deposit. But anyway, the speed at which you can get to the capital that you need, kind of like Nelson Nash talks about in his book, where he had that army buddy that needed to sell some land for pennies on the dollar, and Nelson mm -hmm. was like, hold that thought, let me go down to the State Farm guy and get some money. Yeah. And then he did it again, you know, years later, right? The same guy was like, well, I underestimated my need for capital, and I'll sell you this land even cheaper now. And then he talks about going going to the European vacation for a month, you know, whatever, and having never seen the land. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So access to capital, and that's what you have. Um, right. And, and then another piece of that is once you take out a big loan to go buy your next property, guess what? Now you have a perfect place to save that money. That's to, right. As as your revenue starts coming in, or fees that you know you you charge people, or whatever it may be, your maintenance expenses, everything, anything that comes into you now, you have the perfect place. You just repay that loan; it goes back to the principal and becomes available to borrow again right away. But it's like you just dug a big hole in the ground, and and now you have somewhere to you have some more dirt. Anytime you have more dirt, you can fill that hole. So you can just fill it all up until you're ready to use it again. So. Yeah. And it's, and it's so safe. And what, you know, what, if, if you've been in real estate for long enough, you've probably been sued, you've been a part of a lawsuit, uh, or you will be. And one of the best unknown benefits of cash value life insurance is that in the majority of states out there, it's all state to, you know, specific, but the majority, 100% of your cash value is protected from creditors. So they cannot come after you. I mean, they can come after you. They can't get to your cash value, which is I mean, that, that's pretty exciting uh, as far as covering your, you know, protecting your stuff, protecting your assets. Yep. So, all right, well, let's, let's move on to another one. Um, how about liquidity? I mean, we, we alluded to it, like real estate investors need liquidity. If you don't have access to liquid capital, you can't go buy another deal unless you're yep. mortgaging a, another property you have that has equity or something. Um, so yeah, that money's there for you. You can take it in and Take it out, put it back in at will. I think oftentimes, uh, you know, this is all, I'll just say it now, this is all kind of under the umbrella of controlling the function of banking in our lives or the life of your business, whatever that is, right? We should be in two businesses, whatever business we're in, rehabbing or wholesaling or real estate, let's say in this case, and banking. Um, what, what often happens, Dave, is 
if we don't control that banking function, now I have a liquidity problem. I see this next property, but my bank's not giving me the HELOC I need on the equity on the last property, so I, I have a liquidity crunch. Either I'm going to see private, get private money, hard money, or what, right? Or I'm stall, I just stall out. Yeah, and I have right. to wait to I have to save. I have to capitalize over a mm -hmm. period of time to go then take down the next property, right? And we I see this all the time on that Facebook group that I'm in, where people are just constantly undercapitalized or constantly asking about getting a HELOC on a rental property. Oh, my bank says they're not going to do it, you know, on a rental property. Yeah, not saying some banks won't. They will, but good luck. Good luck finding them in in, in particular times, uh, especially in these these times now when they're starting to tighten the belts over there yeah, in the banks. Exactly. So uh, liquidity is, is important. And w while we're on the subject of liquidity, you know, understand, and this is a hangup a lot of real estate investors have that we've worked with, right? Where they cannot get over the first couple years of not having access to all of the premium that you've paid. Sure. So like, say you have a $20,000 premium, in the first year, you're not going to have access to all twenty thousand dollars. I mean, and that only makes sense, right? They got to they got to pay people at the company. You're getting a permanent death benefit, probably you know in, in the millions. Many times over, what you're paying in premium is your death benefit. Many, right. many, many, many times over. As it should be. I mean, it's insurance. That's just the way That's it right. works. Of course. So yeah, so you are not going to have a hundred percent liquidity right off the bat. Now we can get. I mean, we can get get pretty close. But I'm not going to say numbers or anything like that because every it's all very specific to the individual and how much they fund and how much they overfund in the first year and their health and everything else, right? But you can get pretty darn close to a pretty good, you know, what I would call loan to value on your money in the first year if it's designed and you and you have the capital to to design it, you know, in, in that way. Yeah, yeah, no question. I mean, it, there's there's this trap of short-term thinking, especially with with people probably our age and younger, where we have this instant gratification society that we live in, where we're, you know we have access to information at our fingertips on our on our on our phones. Well, Nelson talks about startup costs, capitalization phase of building this business. This is a much easier banking system to to start and to build up than if you went down to the state and try to get a bank charter. First, you have to go out and find all the capital, and then you get to get, you know, for, yeah. and he explains the, a little bit of it in the, in the book, and it's a big, big pain in the butt. And most likely he says not going to happen because there's 50 other people that want to start a bank as well, because they know how profitable banking is. Yep. Um, so this, I often tell people this, I was like, listen, if you want to do IBC, you have to be able to think beyond next week or next year. This is a lifelong process of becoming our own banker. It's gonna take the average person nowadays 20 years, maybe longer, to become our own banker, okay? And by, explain that a little bit because we're not saying it takes 20 years to start benefiting from this. No, that's not what I'm saying, okay. So let me get back to liquidity. Two, let's we'll use simple numbers. Let's say you put ten thousand into a policy that's designed for IBC. Two weeks after you open that policy, you have access to cash value. Let's say you right. made an annual premium payment of ten thousand dollars, and let's say half of that was paid up additions or something. Yeah. Two weeks after you open that policy, you would have access to let's say you know forty eight hundred dollars out of that ten thousand, right? Right out of the gate. 
So that I'm not saying you have to wait 20 years to get to your cash value or even next year. It is it is literally weeks. What I'm saying is that it's going to take a lot of time to build up ample capital to completely finance the needs of life. Yeah, all the needs of life. And you're talking all, all like your home so you don't have to go to the bank right. to get a, you know, and do a mortgage for a a half million dollar property or something like that. Let me give you an example. I've got a, a new client last couple months named Chris, great guy, super intelligent, super analytical. We designed his premium around obviously his income level and, and he's uh, an accredited investor, very, very bright. But he has a goal to trade out mortgages on rental properties. And he's like, okay, I'll be able to trade that one out at year four. I'll be able to trade this one out at year nine. I'll be able to trade out primary residence at year 15. Hmm. He's thinking long range. Mm-hmm. So he, he, he gets it. And uh, so don't think you're going to become your own banker tomorrow. It's going to take, uh, it's going to take a long time. And, and I'll ask this question. Just do we ever outrun our need for finance or uh, we're, no, we're always going to have a need for finance. You're always going to have a need for finance. Always. Um, right. So you, you got to have money to live in this world. It's just the way it is. That's right. Yeah. Um, anyway. So, so yeah, and, and you make a good point. You use some numbers there that, yeah, it's just a random, I mean, random. Those, are, those are made up numbers. So don't, you know, hang your hat on anything like that. Um, the fact is you pay your premium, you're going to have access to typically the majority of that premium and in cash value that you can start utilizing right away, you know, within a matter of weeks. That's so, right. um, there are, yeah. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, yeah, it's very liquid. I mean, it's not. Yeah. Very liquid. Yeah, very liquid. Yep. Which is why people do it. Yeah. One of the reasons. And protected. So, you know, it, another one uh, sticking with the themes of uh, L words. So leverage, liquidity, and then loss proof. So I, I love the word loss proof because I don't want to lose anything. Uh, I've lost enough in my life. And if you're in real estate, you're probably going to lose something. You know, you're going to lose at one point or another. Hopefully you win more than you lose and you end up on top, but that's right. Your capital is loss proof. And so actually let me take a couple steps back because I think we have a, there is another good analogy to like that liquidity that you lose over the first few years. Talking to real estate investors, it's kind of like an escrow account. Let's say you pay $10,000, 6,000 shows up as cash value. So you don't have access to 4,000 right away. Okay. These are just round number round numbers that 4000 you could imagine like it's going into an escrow account and every year after that a little bit of that is going to be returned to you and it's going to be returned to your cash value until at some point it's all been returned to you and you've hit your break even and then after that it's going to exceed everything you've ever put into it like dramatically the longer you live the better it gets so it's just a, a, another good analogy to think of it in in real estate terms yeah i like that yeah so I think I get that one from John, John and John. Perfect. So, yeah. Thanks, so, John. John. Thanks, John. Um, but loss proof, like it's not tied to the market. If you're using whole life insurance, if you're using IUL, yeah, there's it's going to be tied to the market. You may not lose, right? Because they usually say you have a zero percent floor. Um, uh, but uh, no, that that's a whole nother. If you want to hear our take on uh, why IUL Universal Life is not right for IBC, it's another episode we've already done. So, but it's not volatile. Once that cash value shows up there, it cannot be reduced. Once 
the dividend's been declared, they cannot take it back. That's right. So like, you're not going to wake up tomorrow and have less cash value than you have today if you haven't taken the, I mean, you just won't have less cash value. It's going up today. Right? It goes it's up, going up tomorrow. Goes up every day. Every day. Every day. Like, this year, what, the, the market's loss, call it, what, 25%? Yeah, twenty percent, I guess. Depending okay. on what you're so they in, yeah. maybe rebounded a little bit from from the very bottom. But um, how much have you lost this year in your cash value? I've gained. I've gained. Yeah, right. Nothing. I've gained every single day. So it's pretty nice to have that peace of mind waking up. Like I don't track the market on a weekly basis, even a monthly basis. I I catch it when I'm at the gym because they show. You know, they always yeah, have like garbage on TV. Yeah, Bloomberg is constantly streaming at right. the, the gym, right? Yeah, uh, just to make people mad to so lift harder. Talking about, <laughs> listen to these people talking about the inverted yield curve. Or listen to Jim Cramer give his top pick. So basically anything Jim Cramer says, do the opposite, and you'll probably end up uh, a lot better. Well, he's got the inside insider knowledge at Goldman Sachs, right? Right, he yeah. From, he came from there, right? Yep, he's uh, one of the, the golden boys. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so... I don't know anything else on the loss proof aspect. The only, thing I, would, the, the only thing I would say is we're not we're not comparing infinite banking, dividend paying whole life insurance to the stock market in the sense of Good this point. is an investment. Like whole life insurance is an investment product. It, it's not. We're just talking that there's no there's no risk of loss, right? It's a guaranteed contractual agreement between you and the company. Um, you have your guaranteed values, and those are literally what what it means guaranteed. Yeah, I think the only time you can compare it to the stock market is um, that's uh, one of the only other places people understand uh, where they can put their capital and keep it sure. liquid and hopefully earn on it. Yes. Because and you can't do that in the bank. You're not going to earn anything in the bank, yeah. right? So if I want right. to earn on my liquid capital, I need to, you have to put it think, somewhere. I got to put it somewhere. So the only place people know of really is the stock market. And hopefully they can time it right so that... When they need it, they take it out, and it was worth more than they put in. But then they got to pay taxes on the gains and you know everything else. There, you run into the trap though, and I got, you know, I know some folks that uh, are in a similar boat, but they they have a lot of their liquidity, I think, in in the market. So, you know, let's say it's in an S and P five hundred index fund. Okay, you had you had X amount a year ago. What is that amount today? And it's likely gone down by. 15 to 25 percent depending on you know what, right. what fund you're in right so now does that delay something that you want to do later i i don't i don't know maybe because they don't want to take it out right now because they want to they want to wait for it to rebound yeah, that's, that's so right. they're not so they're not looking for opportunities and if one came along they probably pass on it because they don't want to lose you know what they've got in the market right now right which which makes sense which is not which is a smart thing to do. We don't want to lose that value, but you've kind of you've you've handcuffed yourself right. by yeah. just I don't want to say get getting greedy, but uh, you know if I want if I see an opportunity, I want to be able to act now without any regret. Like hey, life right. insurance cash value, hey, it's gone up every day. It's going to continue going up every day whether I leverage the money or not. Yeah, right? exactly. So yeah, great. So just no to give you that more remorse. certainty. Yeah, you just you just you can just act because it doesn't matter. Yep, exactly. Cool. Well, that's great. Well, so let's talk. Um, this is going to be a longer episode than usual, but I think it needs to be because real estate yeah. investors, there's there's a lot to think about. And there's a lot of them out there and a lot of them have questions about this. They, they're starting to see it uh, being popularized. And um, depending on who they're listening to and where they're learning that information, it, it may 
you know, they, they may be learning the wrong stuff. Yep. No question. So what have we seen? Um, I don't know, maybe let's break real estate investors up into two groups, like the single family investors and multifamily investors. Um, just to make this easy. We've both been single family home investors. We both have rental homes um, or have had uh, in my case. Um, one reason a single family rental home uh, owner might want to use IBC is you're collecting rent every single month, right? Well, hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully your tenants are paying you. Um, but you're collecting that rent. I, if you're collecting 1500 bucks a month in rent on, on one home, you're not spending $1,500, right? You're, you're paying the mortgage, which is going to be less than 1500. Let's say the mortgage is a thousand. Otherwise then, it's not an investment. It's otherwise it's not sell that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then, so now you have 500 of, of surplus, but you have a lot of other expenses, right? You have, uh, when people move out, move in, you get, you know, time when it's vacant. So you got a vacancy rate, you got maintenance expenses. When you own a home, I had to replace an air conditioner that cost the entire year's worth of, of cash right. flow in, in a single one fell swoop because I had to replace right. $5,000 air conditioner. Right. Um, you know, you have all these expenses. So you're, you're smart not to spend all that money because you know, those expenses are coming up. So that money's got to go sit somewhere. Well, why not let it sit in the most efficient and beneficial, beneficial place for you, um, which is dividend paying whole life insurance. So perfect place to capture that rental income that you need to earmark for future expenses. I, I have really nothing to add. I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, and it's literally what partly in what we do, right? We, we cash flow from one of our, from our one remaining single family rental that we have. And yeah, that money goes somewhere. It goes, part of that goes to the mortgage to pay it every month. Right. And the, the, the cash flow is, is premium. It's yep. either premium or loan repayment. It just depends. Right. So actually I have one client who we created a policy and really how we came up with determining what the premium was going to be is we looked at his rental income and he had about, I think if I, my memory serves me correct, he had about $48,000 a year of rental income, like cash. Very flow. nice. 48 grand of cash flow coming in from all of his rentals. Very nice. And I said, what if we just capture half of that as premium? So we did that. So half of his cash flow is coming in and going straight to fund a premium every year. And now that money, that cash value is sitting there waiting for him. And he's already used it multiple times to do the next deal. So it's just a revolving door right now of, of credit for him. So, it, and it's phenomenal. And it doesn't, those loans that, that he takes, they don't go against his, his, credit his debt to income ratio. Yeah, that's right. It, it is not debt. It's not reflected as debt. So that's that's another bonus they don't talk about. You know, Dave, that question comes up sometimes is, um, and I guess my answer varies depending on who I'm talking to, but people people realize that, okay, this is not generating a 1099. It's not being tracked, you know, by the, the IRS isn't like in my policy seeing how much light, you know, cash value I have. Um, what is a, what is a, a lender gonna consider my life insurance cash value? Right? Am I going to have trouble getting a loan from a, a lender? Has has your has your client experienced any any issue uh, with his banks doing what he needs to do? No, not at all. Those, uh, you know, I guess I haven't talked to him specifically about that. Um, I don't. So, but I would say no. There's no way for that to count against you. That cash value that you have available still to loan against—that's an asset. 
and banks understand whole life insurance cash value. If you ever filled out mortgage paperwork, they under all the assets, one of them that they, they have like in the dropdown menu is cash value life insurance. Yep. Like it's an asset that's, and it's just as good as cash. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So how about syndicators? So we've got some people we're working with right now going through the underwriting process who are syndicating apartment deals. And I mean, I can't think of a better opportunity for somebody to capture all of the money slipping through their, their hands every month than syndicators. So, you know, what, what are, what are some ways syndicators could think about this and how could they utilize IBC? Well, I always think about those, those acquisition fees, Ooh, yeah. which are, which can be, which can be massive depending on how big the Six property figures. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another one, Dave is, and I actually put that on my Facebook probably a few months ago. I was like, yes, those, those acquisition fees ought to be some ought to be premium first. Yeah. Before they go do whatever the heck they're going to go do, um, sp save it, spend it, do the next deal with it, whatever. The other thing is, is that a lot of these places, you know, two, three hundred, four hundred unit apartment complexes have massive capex budgets, right? Because they're buying these properties from these old operators, let's say that have owned them for twenty or thirty years. There's a lot of updating that needs sure. to be done, restriping of parking lots. We add a little dog park, or we add a little jungle gym. We laundry mat, or they renovate yeah, we, units as people move out. Yeah, that that's right. And we have you know pack you know this baseline package that we do to to turn the apartment that costs ten thousand dollars per unit or something, granite countertop, you know stainless steel apartment, whatever it is. Right. All that money just sits basically, like you said, like in an escrow. It sits in a probably a business checking account or something. Yeah. Um, or in an escrow where it just sits there. And it's exposed. Let's not it beat is. around the bush on that. That money is exposed right now because one, if you have any confidence in the FDIC insurance, that only covers you up to $250,000 and not in a single account. It's not like per account, like it's per account holder is my understanding. So you could have $100,000 in four different accounts. You're still only covered for 250 total. Right. I don't. Maybe. Okay. Don't quote us on that, folks. Okay. Well, look that up. You know, fact check that yourself. But that's my right. understanding. So, you can't spread. You can't spread your uh, your capital over uh, several accounts and keep it all in the same name and expect it for all of it to be covered if it's over two hundred and fifty. That's my understanding. Yeah, and I'd say this as well, Dave. On that's because that's a great point. Is the FDIC isn't is not fully funded hasn't been for years anyway i think right. it's you know less you know, there's you know whatever x trillion amount of dollars on deposit at banks at any one time and the fdic can meet i think you know one, maybe 1%. half of a percent or something yeah one yeah, percent uh, so it's right it's not real insurance it's just if you know the history you have to do some do some reading um but it's it's not what you think, folks. Yeah, uh, and read if you think your money is secure because of that. <clears throat> there's a, also a little thing called the Dodd-Frank Act that was... Bail-in. Yeah. Bail-in. So research that. Google that Dodd-Frank Act bail-in, as in yeah. like a bale of water. Bail-in. They're not going to bail out the banks anymore with taxpayer funds. They're going to bail in the banks with your personal funds that are Deposits. already in the banks. You're an unsecured creditor. That's it. They they have right to your money. Just another reason I don't keep any money in a commercial bank that I don't need to pay my bills. Thanks, Barney. Thanks, Barney. Class act. 
He's doing it for you, the consumer. Don't worry. That's right. Yeah. Okay. He's, so reti he's retired now, so we can poke fun at him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can poke fun at him anyway. Freedom of speech. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think it may be a hate crime for him, you know, in, in some people's minds. But right. What 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 other money do syndicators have flown through their hands every month? Like it's all that revenue, right? And then they're they're like how the syndications you've been a part of, you receive quarterly payments. Yes, I've had one that was monthly, and then the other okay. ones have, have all been quarterly. Um, but you're right that that money sits right before they send it out to. If you're a you know a you know you're in a preferred position, let's say as a yeah. limited partner in this syndication, right, where you get paid first if the if the cash flows allow, yep. right. Um, well, yeah, that that money is sitting any, anywhere. So. You know, there's there's definitely creative ways, Dave, to capture a lot of the dollars that flow through their hands, which is you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. That could be a lot of it could be premium, and it's just, yeah. it's just it's and it's it's simply not. And it's just um, a it's just a matter of sequence. Sequence your your dollars it. through the policy before they go out to your investor. Sequence them through the policy before they pay your your uh, semi annual uh, property tax. Sequence them through the policy before you go. Yeah, retar the, the driveway or put in a dog park, right? It's just sequence. Right. It's all, and I've seen that done at every syndication I've been in. There's always been a either a dog park or a jungle gym or resurfacing or it, it again. That and that money was there was it was put to one use. It was it did just the resurfacing. It's just you one twenty thousand dollars gone. Yep. It could have been PUA premium first. Yep. Right. So. Well, good. So, and we've worked with a lot of real estate investors over, over the last several years, and we've discovered a, a few things. And I think one of the biggest things that we discover with real estate investors is they're not patient. Real estate investors, and rightly so, they want to have their money working for them. They understand velocity of money. But what they don't understand is like going back to what you had said earlier, that a lot of times they're very short-term thinking. They just think the next deal, the next deal. They're not thinking five, 10 years into the future. So they don't have the patience to hold on to that cash, get approved for a policy and first pay, make it premium first and then utilize it and then leverage it. So that's, that's the biggest thing I've seen. Um, the biggest drawback of working with real estate investors that they need, they need to get over. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I also think that um, just from a, a business planning perspective, Dave, you know, whole life insurance is a great way, and we've talked about it, but just to touch upon it again, is a great way to fund a succession, a business succession plan, whether it's a buy-sell agreement uh, or some other agreement that your lawyers draft up. But the best way to fund those agreements is with permanent insurance. Yep. Um, and this dividend-paying whole life, you know, you're able to maintain much of that liquidity that you do need. Um, and I think I don't. That's a question I would ask now, as a, you know, as a lender into these things or a limited partner is like, hey, tell me about y'all's insurance plan. What happens if this key person who is the the personality of this thing? He's the deal maker. He's all these things for you guys because he's usually pretty small, right? There's only a handful of key people. Yeah. You know, four or five guys or gals. Um, what happens if you lose him or her? Right. Um, how do you replace him or her and still maintain, you know, the functionality and, and the success that you've had? Um, how do you, yeah. you anyway? So how is the just, loss of that person going to affect the return of my capital? Sure. 
and if they if you have a massive uh, life insurance policy, that could be another benefit as a as a syndicator to attract other capital to attract other capital. Like, oh, your question, great question. If I get hit by a bus tomorrow, well, guess what? I have a five million dollar policy, which is enough to pay every one of you investors back. So there you go. That's right. Make me a beneficiary. Make me a beneficiary. I mean, there's a reason when you go get a small business administration loan. They insure, if you're going to get a $5 million loan, they want to know you have $5 million of life insurance in place. Because if you die, they're getting their money back. Oh, yeah. And they're if I'm an investor, yeah, if I'm an investor, I want to be treated the same. So yep. there you go. What's another one? What's another hurdle that a lot of real estate uh, investors need to, to jump? Well, they haven't been... If they've dug into IBC, they haven't dug into it enough, Dave. And they just simply... They don't understand that this process, this product will enhance whatever they're doing. Yeah. And yes, we've addressed the, the startup costs, but over the long term, if you took two people, and I've said this before, one one person is doing IBC, the other is not, like say they're twins or something, right? Mm -hmm. Twin IBC is going to run away eventually. Yep. All things being equal, he's, he's going to run away from the other guy. Right. And if you don't understand what I'm saying, read Nelson's book again. Again. There you go. So that that's perfect. And something you said before we even got on this call, and I'll, I'll let you say it. What's the quote that you said? Um, yeah. Why don't you say it? Because yeah, I don't want to steal your thunder. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. All right. So they're not thinking in terms of banking, right? Everything that's going on in the financial space is secondary to the banking function and controlling it. Yeah. Everything is secondary to that consideration. Absolutely. Yeah. You could have the greatest deal in the world, but if you don't control the banking function or you can't get lending for whatever reason, then it's not the best deal in the world anymore. It's and it's just, not a deal at all. It's not a deal at all. Right. Yeah. It starts with the banking. That's it. It all That's leads nice. back to banking, the function of banking. Yep. All right. So yeah. And that, I mean, that plays into this characterization, which I found is real estate investors think as investors only. They don't think like bankers. So if you want to be the best deal maker out there, I guarantee, I know the best deal maker out there. I've worked with him on many deals and you know who I'm talking about. Uh, he's the best deal maker I've ever met in my entire life. And he and the reason he's the best deal maker is because he understands banking like like Warren Buffett understands the stock market. Right. He understands banking and every single thing goes back to banking, period, yep. with him. If it's not bankable, it's not a deal. Yeah, That's he's it. forgotten more about banking than you than know, we'll, ever, we'll ever know. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So um so that that it's just first hand. I think proof. that's a great that's such an important point and and, and maybe they don't understand something. We throw this term banking around and the banking function. Uh, maybe there's a misunderstanding in some people's eyes because maybe because they haven't been able to put in the work or haven't been willing to put in the work to, to understand, you know, what that what that means. Yeah. Right. That's the you know, that's the essence of what Nelson is trying to explain to us here in his 92 page book. Well, and the truth is, I mean, bankers like central bankers don't want you to understand banking or else you would never keep your money with them. Well, right. right. <laughs> so right. it's hidden for a reason. So you really have to want to understand it. 
and want to learn about it in order to become knowledgeable in it. That's just a fact. It's not going to happen by accident. Yeah, no, no doubt. Yeah. So another thing is investors like to focus on their biggest focus is maximizing the return on investment with every dollar, the rate of return on the do on every single dollar they have. It's focused on let's maximize that one rate of return we're after with this one deal instead of thinking, how can I multiply my rates of return with the same dollar? So what infinite banking allows you to do is you get to earn multiple rates of return. Like, would you have rather have one or two? I'd rather have two. I mean, yeah, I'll take, I'll take multiple. I'll take multiple. Alex, for the win. take multiple for the win. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and that's exactly what this, you get multiple uses out of the same dollar. And with real estate, I remember reading a Kim Butler book. It was like nine uses with the same right. dollar that you get by putting it in cash value life insurance, then leveraging it for real estate. And, and let's, let's remember, like, as time goes on, these policies, right, they get more efficient every day. So your that enhancement that we spoke of earlier gets better with age, not worse. It gets better with age. I mean, I, I right. know what that's like, so I can relate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like a fine, like a fine wine it's here. Fine. Yeah. So I mean, getting better with age, uh, there are ways to do it. Yeah. So, and then you had one final comment here, and then you know this is the longest episode we've ever done. I know. So we'll uh, we'll close it out here shortly. Yeah, I think just the just the volume of interest, not only business owners or just everyday people, right, that is paid to other banks throughout our lifetime. And again, I'm, I'm going back to Nelson again. Thirty four and a half cents out of every dollar earned or spent is paid in interest to someone else's banking system. Doesn't matter what bank it is, local bank, big bank, doesn't matter. Finance company, mortgage company, get that back. Right. You get that back with IBC. Yep. That right there is has enormous value, right? If you could take a third of all that money that, you know, the 100% that's going out, you could recapture a third of that. Yeah. You're already beating your neighbor who's doing things the way every other person in the, in the country is. And that's what the really matters, right? you to do it. Yeah, because well, yeah, well, what, what you do is compared to what everyone else is doing. Right, wealth is relative. That's right. You know, how you do is relative to how everybody else does. So like, you know, as we've said many times before, the banking process is going to happen whether you are involved in it or not. So hmm. get involved in God. it. God, say that again. The banking process is, is going to happen whether you're involved in it or not. Yeah, it got better with age. Yeah, absolutely. Just like these policies. So, so. well, all right, man, I think we covered a lot of ground in 48 minutes. So we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. Hopefully all you real estate investors got something out of that. And if you guys want to call us, shoot holes in what we're saying so we can help you understand this process better because you know, that's what you do. Just like a good real estate investor is going to look at a deal and they're going to shoot holes in it. And they're going to say, what if, what if, what if they're going to yeah. look at all the, all the different angles of risk. Let's have that conversation. We're happy to, to do that and answer any questions you have and, and we'll, we'll shoot you straight. So feel free to write us in with questions or schedule time with us. Happy to talk. Well, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys all next week. You have a good one. Yeah. See, see you all. next week. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at theibcguys.com. And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. And please share this with your friends. We'll see you next week.